All right, where's my responsible people in the room? Who actually hand wrote some Christmas cards? It's okay, you can raise your hand. Who wrote the cards? Awesome. Who, all right, who was going to write some Christmas cards? <laughs> That's all right, I'm with you, I'm with you, I understand. We make great plans, don't we? We make great plans for how the season's going to be. And it's funny how sometimes our plans actually are, man, I want this Christmas to be like that past Christmas. Like, that's the dream. Like, I want this Christmas to be like the Christmases that I used to know back when everything was always perfect and everything went as planned just because I didn't know what the plans were and so I thought everything was okay anyway. I mean, things never go as planned, right? Our, our expectations is always a little bit different. And sometimes we, we have to just reach that point where we say, okay, it's going to be what it's going to be and it's going to be okay that it's not what I expected. I mean, that, that is a safe place to arrive to because we've seen throughout history. Plans, they just always, always change. And we're going to continue looking at the story of Christmas, the original Christmas, the birth of Christ. And we, we looked a little bit at, you know, just some of the, the truth about who Jesus is, even before he was born. And we looked at it from Mary's perspective, and we're going to look at it a little bit today from Joseph's perspective. Because Joseph had a dream uh, of what his marriage and his life was going to be like, too. It wasn't just Mary who was planning and dreaming what the wedding was going to be like, how many kids they have, what the names would be. It wasn't just her. He chose Mary, and he loved her, and he was excited to be engaged with her. And then this happened. And it's easy to read the story and, and know how it ends and just kind of jump past the emotion and the anxiety and the tension that was felt and was so real in these moments. And so I want to read this, and I want us to just kind of be focused on Joseph's perspective, and we're going to break this passage from Matthew, the Gospel, uh, uh, the gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 18. And we're going to start with verses 18 through 19 as we go through, all the way through verse 24 today. But we'll start with 18 and 19, and it says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Now, if there's one thing that social media has taught us about righteous people, is that a good sign that someone is a righteous person is they get really angry about stuff and they let everyone know. And they usually like to tag people that they're criticizing in it so that everyone that can, else can know that I'm righteous and this person is wrong and messed up and has a bad view on things and I want everybody to know. And that's what we've kind of learned from our present age is that if you're righteous, just let everyone else know how wrong they are. And, and that's how people are going to know. And that's what you should do. And, and there's part of us that says, no, that's not right. <laughs> that's not how it should be. That's kind of how it is in our culture. People like to blab and people like to post and, and be extravagant in what they say about other people. But that's really not how it should be. I mean, just recently we had an interesting thing happen in Florida, and I'm not going to get too much into which side of this you voted on, uh, be because that doesn't really matter to what I'm talking about. But we just decided on whether or not felons could vote again if their, their crime wasn't murder, if it wasn't an extreme dr drug charge. A and we, we made that decision. And w when one of the news reports were posted about that vote, Man, the comments on that news article were on fire. I mean, people were letting their opinions fly and making generalizations about one side and the other side. And I, you know, sometimes the comments are more interesting than the article, so I'm just scrolling through the comments. And, 
And I keep seeing this one guy's name just popping up. And he just keeps supporting it, and, and people are criticizing him and calling him all kinds of names and calling him all kinds of stupid. And, and I may not agree with his side of it, but I mean, he's just, you can tell his, his heart is in it. And so I click, and I'm like, who is this guy? And, and want to just look at his profile a little bit. Start doing the cyber creep thing, you know, just looking through. I'm like into 2017 of his life, and I don't even know this guy. But back about a year ago, he had shared an article about how felons might get their right to vote restored. And one of his friends on his Facebook profile was commenting on it, and his thing was, you know, this would change so much for me if I could vote again. And I was like, okay, that's, that's why his heart is so in this conversation, why he's so excited about these people getting their right to vote yet. And he didn't make that known in the comments, and there was part of me that was like, man, I could really spice up these comments right now once all these people who are arguing with him find out that he's a felon, that he can't vote. You know, I could, I could really light this thing back on fire. But there was zero percent of me that really wanted to do that. And, and I believe, it's not because I'm a, a, a good person, but I, I do believe this, that when, when God is intimately involved in your life and you've turned towards Him, that there's part of you that desires mercy more than judgment. And I believe that this was true even before the Holy Spirit was given to us on the day of Pentecost. I believe that as you look throughout Scripture that you see within the heart of people this desire for mercy to be expressed. And it wasn't always perfectly expressed, but it was this common thread. It was a common teaching, and it was even seen in the life of Joseph because, man, Joseph is in a tough spot right here. Because in this day, when they got engaged, it was seen as an illegal agreement that is bound right there at the engagement. It wasn't until the wedding like it is in our culture. And, and so for Joseph to separate from Mary, there's a divorce process that he would have to go through, which is already kind of a black mark on, on his record in the town folk's opinion. And so just choosing to be a divorced person, this was going to be hard. His, his fiance has gone crazy and said she's pregnant from the Holy Spirit, and now he's going to have to divorce her. And the easiest thing, the best thing for him to do would have been to just light her, her, her integrity, light her life on fire by saying, Mary's pregnant, everybody. It wasn't me, so I'm out. And his word would have been accepted. No one would have criticized him for doing what he did. But there was part of him, and I believe it's because Joseph was a good man, and he was a righteous man. <coughs> Joseph didn't want to submit her to public disgrace. Joseph didn't want to put her in a place where she might actually be put to death for the crime of adultery. And he expressed mercy. And as I kind of check myself about, you know, when I am in these situations where, you know, Someone might think less of me unless I put out more information about someone else. Like someone criticizes me, and so people are looking bad at me, but I know the truth about them, and so I can either let people think bad about me, or, or I can roast this person. What am I going to choose? And, and church, I just, want, I just want to prompt your thinking on this. I don't want you to feel condemned. I don't want you to feel judged. I want you, as you look forward, I understand people criticize you often. And there's so many mediums that someone can say something bad about you now. So many things that you have to check notifications off. So many places where people disagree with you. So many opportunities for you to express how smart you are. I get it. And I get the draw. But I first just want to just prompt your thinking a little bit. That if to protect my reputation or to make myself feel better, I have to 
tear someone else down, I believe the presence and, and the word of God in your life is going to say, just let other people think badly of you. Say it this way. Am I more concerned about what the crowd thinks or am I more concerned about what my God thinks? And one of those two things are going to motivate you towards actions that you may or may not regret later. And I want to encourage you, even if the crowd thinks less of you, be more concerned about what God thinks. And, and this is the way that I want to say it in my first point, is that the righteous choose, choose mercy over judgment. The righteous choose mercy over judgment. And, and we see this displayed in Joseph, who was not a perfect person, but he looked at the situation and he said, I don't want to publicly disgrace her because his heart was in love with her because it was the wife that he chose and it did break her heart that he did this and even though he was emotionally upset, he didn't give him the excuse to validate just criticizing and making this secret that he thought about her known. The other thing that I think is funny to realize is that in his mind, he knew what the, what the situation really was, right? I mean, but he didn't. He was wrong. He, he, he was wrong about the situation. He assumed that she had slept with someone else, that this baby wasn't from God. In his mind, he knew that was the facts, but he didn't know all the facts. I mean, isn't that story just a good reminder that, that we need to be, you know, slow to anger, slow to speak, quick to listen. There's times where we think we know the real, the, the real situation going on, but we don't have all the information yet. We don't really know what God is doing behind the scenes. There's another picture that I like to contrast this against that happened in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7, and it's Jesus' interaction with basically the opposite of situations. Jesus has been in, invited in to have dinner at the house of a Pharisee, which the Pharisees and Jesus, you know, they didn't always get along too well. They didn't get along too well in this, this situation either, even though Jesus was having dinner with them. But as they're having dinner there, the passage actually says that an Im, a woman with known immorality, an immoral woman, came into the house because she heard that Jesus was there. And she comes before him, and she is weeping. And she has an expensive alabaster jar of oil, and she of perfume, and she begins to anoint Jesus' feet and wipe it with her hair. And she is just broken before him. But she was an immoral woman, and some of the men probably knew firsthand, because that's what it kind of is and was. Like, the guys who are the most judgmental usually have the most skeletons in their closet. And so... In Simon's mind, the Pharisee's mind, he begins to criticize Jesus, and he says this in his head, and, and he says, if this man was a prophet, he would know what type of woman this is. And, and because he didn't like the woman that was paying affection and attention to Jesus, he criticized Jesus, saying, if you really are who I thought you were, you wouldn't let this woman touch you at all. And, and maybe this has happened in your life where, where you question God, where you criticize God, where you criticize what's going on. And, and, it, and Jesus actually speaks to him and answers the thing that he's criticizing Jesus for in his mind. And, and I love the way that he says it in the passage. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Isn't that a scary sentence from Jesus? I have something to say to you. And, and his response was, well, then tell me, teacher. And, and it's interesting. He called him teacher. He, he, he maintained respect, even though in his mind he was like, you are not who I thought you were because you're associating with this low life." And, and he tells the parable. If there was two, two people, and one owed 50 pieces of silver, and one owed 500 pieces of silver, and the master forgave them both, which one would love him more? He said, well, the one that was forgiven more would probably love him more. And he said, you, you've judged correctly, and she has been forgiven much, and so she loves much. And, and it was this amazing, beautiful situation where, where the grace of God 
didn't just, like in Mary's situation, she didn't do anything wrong. Of course she deserved the benefit of the doubt. Of course she deserved mercy and to not be publicly ridiculed. Like we can see that she kind of deserved that even if Joseph didn't know it yet. When Jesus was in a situation with a woman who deserved judgment because she had been immoral, because it was known, Jesus still spoke forgiveness. And he spoke of the amazing response that when she realized that she was wrong, she was repentant. And she loved God with a love that might be hard for someone who thinks they don't have much to be forgiven to understand. Because in the theological realm, you should know that the person who's been forgiven just a little bit and the person who's been forgiven a ton, they're really on equal footing before God because it's only one sin that's necessary to put you in the category of sinful. It doesn't matter how much she sinned or how little this person thinks he sinned, they're both in the same category of needing grace. And then Ephesians 4.32 gives us a good perspective on the way that we show grace. Be, be, because it says that we should be tender-hearted towards each other, kind and compassionate, forgiving as Christ forgave us. Now look, this is instruction, not recommendation, for the believers in Christ. And I want to hear you as a, this as a strong word from the mouth of God, that when you interact with others, I am instructing you to be tender-hearted, to be kind, compassionate, and to forgive them the way that my son forgives you. And in our interactions with people who deserve our anger and our wrath and our judgment, and they deserve to be embarrassed for the way that they crossed us and criticized us, when we interact with them, there should be something in our heart that calls out and says, forgive them the way that your Savior forgives you. And I understand that is a challenging amount of compassion. But that is what we are called to, my friends. The righteous choose mercy over judgment. And I think that is displayed very well through Joseph in this situation. Joseph, he, he was engaged, he was a righteous man, and he did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Continuing on to verse 20, it says, As he considered this, so Joseph is taking all this in, that, that he's going to divorce her quietly so that people don't find out. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as, wife, as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now there's three interesting things that pop out to me in this section, that as the angel is speaking to him, the angel reminds him, I believe, of his identity, of his dreams, and of instructions that are given to him. I mean, the term that he uses for Joseph, it, it calls out and lets him know, Joseph, I know who you are. You're a son of David. You are of the kingly line. You are of the line that the Messiah was promised through. And, and there's this moment of, of identity, and I think that it's important, especially when we think of, okay, how, how do I take pieces of this nativity story uh, of the birth of Christ, the, the foundation for the Christmas season, how do I take some of this and understand how I live my life a little bit better? I'd say one of the things that helped get Joseph onto a page of understanding your, your fiancé who is pregnant, she's not lying to you, that this is something that God is doing, that God is changing your dream, he's changing your plan. First of all, understand who you are. That this was something that was promised would happen within your people. You have an identity that's important to this. And I'd say to put the spotlight on you for a minute, 
That, that understanding your identity, identity is crucially important to you accomplishing the purpose that God has set before your life. Because your identity matters. Because if you bought into the lie that you're not good enough, that you've messed up too much, that there's no future ahead of you, that, that that's going to hinder you even getting started on the important calling that God has for your life. And this is a heartbeat for Gulfside Church. We've identified our purpose statement as Gulfside Church exists to help people know God. It's important that you first know Him, know that He loves you, know that you can have a relationship with Him, that find community, that in order to live your life out, you need to be connected to other believers. You are not meant to walk alone. To discover your purpose, you have a purpose that you were designed to fulfill and to make a difference. You're, you were supposed to live that purpose out, that you have a calling in front of you, every single one of you, and understanding your identity as a child of God, that you know him, that he knows you. That, that, you know, in scripture, there's times where we're called servants of God. And that's a great and important calling. It's an awesome thing to be a servant of God, as 2 Corinthians 6, 4 says. That we're servants of God, that we serve him, that we do his work. That's incredible. But that, that's not the fullness of our, our identity. And if you believe that your job is just to do works for God, you're missing a big part of it. I mean, we're also called citizens of heaven. In, in Philippians 3.20, it calls us, citizens of heaven and it means that we're right that we belong in his kingdom that we are supposed to be there we're not just workers but we have this sense of identity and belonging to god's kingdom but even bigger than that as romans 8 17 says that we are adopted as children as family as heirs of christ inheriting what he earned that part of your identity is not that god just looks at you as someone who's supposed to accomplish a purpose god looks at you as a child that he loves that he has a plan for, that he has a purpose for. You are a dearly loved child of God. And if the plans for your life have felt broken, if the plans for your life have not felt on schedule, if things aren't happening in the timing that you thought that they should be happening in, God is not done with you. He doesn't give up on his children. Understanding your identity is part of moving towards your dream, and you should know the dream that God has for you. There are passion, there is history, there are things in your life that point you towards the dream you're supposed to accomplish in your life. And I believe that God gives us instructions. And man, wouldn't it just be great if we had an angel pop out to us in a dream and say, this is what you need to do right now. Although I'll tell you, if that happened to you, you would probably be like, man, I've got to stop eating pizza after 9 o'clock. Like, things are getting weird in my dreams. And you would snap, just go on to life as normal. I, I mean, it's great, like, that he had instructions, take Mary as your wife from an angel. But I, I'd say, man, wouldn't it be great to have instructions from God about, like, specifically how I'm supposed to live my life? Like, what, like wouldn't it be great if I had 66 books that, that were written to me? that gave me instructions about the way that I'm supposed to live, the way that I'm supposed to talk, about how I can know that I could have eternal life, about the way that I'm supposed to raise my children, the way that I am supposed to love my spouse, the way that I'm supposed to operate when I'm single. Wouldn't it be great if God would just speak to me and give me some sort of instructions? I wish I had some instructions. I think we know we have some instructions if we're willing to open it up and receive from it. That's right. Amen. God is speaking to you. God has spoken to you. And his word that is written in the scriptures is more powerful than a word from an angel. And as we see in this promise that is coming, coming into Joseph's life, this promise of the Messiah, it was 700 years in the making from the time it was spoken from Isaiah. 
I mean, when Isaiah gave the prophecy about the virgin giving birth to Emmanuel, like, it, it had been 700 years, the timing of waiting on that. It, it was exhausting. It was terrible. But one of the things that the angel spoke in his interaction with Mary, he said, God's word always comes true. And I tell you, that's not just true for Mary and Joseph. It's not just true about Emmanuel. It's not just true about the virgin birth. God's promises, they always come true in his timing. And we can hold to them. And there will be seasons and periods of times where it feels like this hurts so bad. This is so difficult. This is tough to walk through. People are criticizing. People are saying, I'm wrong for trusting your promises. But the promises always come true in their time. His word is always good. God's instructions to Joseph were clear. Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. The child conceived in her by the Holy Spirit will be born. He will be son, and you are to name him Jesus. And he will save his people from their sins. Joseph was given instructions, and you were given instructions too, and to try to take those instructions and sum them up into just a small part of a sentence. I I like to go back to a, a book that I read a few years ago by John Piper that's called Don't Waste Your Life. That's the great way of summing up the instructions of Scripture in a sentence that you can just grab and take with you. The, the writings in Scripture are to help you, help keep you from wasting your life because your life has a purpose. And you have opportunities, and the longer that you delay following God, the more opportunities that you're missing to make a difference in the community around you, your family right now, and in your own personal life. We can miss opportunities. And we don't want to waste them. Everything that we have, I would actually say, is comparable to, to an opportunity. I want to just quickly reference Philippians 1, 20, verse tw- verses 20, ch- Philippians chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. And the Apostle Paul is writing, and, he, and he's throwing out his heart for the way that he wants to live his life. And he says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed in the way that I live, but, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Whatever happened in the Apostle Paul's life, his heartbeat was, I don't want to do anything that I'll be ashamed of those choices. I don't want to look back and say, man, I wish I, wish I had leaned in a little bit more. But I want to have courage so that Christ is always honored in my life. Uh, John Piper, in, in his writings about not wasting your life, he said, the unwasted life is the life that uses everything to show that Christ is more valuable than the thing itself. Money is used to show that Christ is more valuable than money. Food is used to show that Christ is more valuable than food. Houses and land and cars and computers, they're all used to show that Christ is more valuable than they are. Family and friends in your own life are a place to show that Christ is more valuable than any of them. And and this is the opportunity that we have to glorify Christ in whatever it is that we're living through right now. No matter how challenging the situation is, no matter what your situation is at work, you have an opportunity to honor Christ in that situation. And I don't want you to miss that opportunity. Because there's emotional pulls, because there's distractions, because there's things to get done, and we just kind of start going through the motions of the things, even of the seasons, and we miss the symbolism and the purpose behind the things that we're doing, even on the series, as we've been talking about Christmas lights and decorations, that they all have meaning and purpose. They communicate something. And it's easy for us to get caught up in these traditions and miss the meaning and the purpose of what we're doing. I don't want you to miss it in the holiday. I don't want you to miss it in your finances, in your marriage, in your workplace, in your school. I don't want you to miss the opportunity 
that you have to honor Christ in all of those areas. You know, it, 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 my, my daughter Aaliyah, she's taken to doing this funny thing uh, because whenever we're doing something and she really wants our attention, this is the card that she loves to play. Dad, aren't we more important than that? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> That's not even fair. Like, like, yes, you're more important than paying the bills, but because I love you, I'm going to pay the bills. Like, I, I'm going to keep light on for you. Do you like hot water? Like, I mean, we, it's the parent conversation that your parents had with you, and you're, you're like, I have to go to work today be, because I want to feed you and keep you clothed and keep you in school and have gas to put on the car and take care of you. And so I have to go. Like, yes, you're more important than work, but because you're important, I'm going to work. And, and it's a funny interaction, but it's also just a heart check for me of like, reminding me, I do these things because I love my family. And I want to invest in these things because it honors God, because it honors them, and because it's what I'm called to do. The why behind the what, it matters. The purpose, the calling, it, it, it matters. The, the, the second point that I, I just want, I want to encourage you on, the thing that I kind of see through this section is that, you know, God's instructions to Joseph were clear. Take Mary as your wife. God's instructions to us are clear. Don't waste your life. You have an opportunity. You have a purpose. Don't miss it. Don't let the busyness of the things you have to do forget about the reasons that you're doing it. Don't let the busyness of decorating for the season, don't let that distract you from the meaning of why we're hanging up these lights that shine in the darkness. Continuing into verse 22, it says, All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. What God speaks, it will always come to pass. 700 years of waiting on the prophet's word to come to pass, it came to pass. This child that was known as Emmanuel, God with us, he walked among his people and he walks with us today. The, the term Emmanuel, it, it's great because it, it's that picture of God walking amongst us. And as you go back throughout scripture, so many people, it's like that was the cry of their heart. Moses, when, when he was receiving instructions from God, he said, if you don't come with us, we don't, I don't want to go. And throughout scripture, there's this call. David cried out, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I want your presence with me. And whether you know it or not, there's a cry within your own heart that says, God, I want your spirit with me. I want your presence with me. I want Emmanuel. I want God to walk alongside me. And that's the gift of Christmas. That in the midst of this tension and this fear and this uncertainty, this baby was born who would save his people from their sins. And Joseph, in the situation where he was going to go through with a quiet divorce and this angel spoke to him, he had this amazing word from God. And then there was something that happened in verse 24 that I think it, it, it's so important because many times we will receive a word from God and we'll know what we're supposed to do. And we'll say, man, I'm so excited that God called me to do this later. Band, if you guys will make your way up here, I'm going to start to close this message out. There, there, there's this problem where we'll, we'll see, okay, 
I know God's calling me to do this. And this is where I think some of the rubber of the story meets the road. And it's encouragement that I take from the way that Joseph operated, that when he had this dream, this vision from God, that he didn't take a day to think on it. He didn't consider, he didn't question like, is there some other way, is there something else? When he had this vision and this calling and this instruction from God, what verse 24 says is that he woke up and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. Now, uh, if you don't, if I haven't shared about this when you were around before and you didn't realize it, I, I have three daughters. The oldest is almost 11, wh- which means my wife doesn't have to get after me for doing things nearly as much because they're starting <coughs> to do it for her. So like, I, I don't know how many of you guys were like me, but when Christmas season started approaching, there was someone else in the household that began to say, when are you going to get the boxes down from the attic? When are you going to get the boxes down from the attic? Every moment, like creeping up next to my bed, when are you getting the boxes down from the attic? And, and so eventually, I, you know, by November 3rd, I think I finally caved and got the boxes down. And I was like, man, we're going to be ahead of schedule. And, you know, three weeks later, boxes are down. Boxes aren't open yet. Each week at the close of the message, we kind of use Christmas lights as an illustration. The first week we talked about the need to be plugged in. So there's a power source. That Christmas lights are Christmas lights, but they can't achieve their purpose until they're plugged into that source, which is Jesus Christ. And you need a connection to him. You need that connection. You were made for that connection. Next week, last week, we talked about lights inside the house versus lights out, lights inside versus outside, that our light should shine so that other people can see it. And, and this last week, as I looked at Joseph's life, I was encouraged by Joseph's willingness that when he received the call, the boxes didn't sit in the living room for three weeks. But he got started. And if I were to kind of use the illustration of saying, you know, the Christmas lights represent your calling, represent your dream, representing what God's called you to do in this phase of life. Are your Christmas lights still in the box? Or are they out achieving their purpose? Because every one of you have a purpose. Every one of you have a calling. Every one of you have a gift. But there's action that you need to take. There's steps that you need to take to move forward. So today, my simple encouragement to you. Get started. Get the lights out. Get it done. Because you know what? Christmas is like nine days away. If you haven't decorated your house for Christmas yet, this opportunity is almost past you. <laughs> in the same way, there's opportunities right now in your life, people you have influence with, and if you don't seize those opportunities, they're going to pass you. And when a church misses opportunities, it's not a thing that we've just missed, it's a person. It's a life, it's a soul, it's a story, it's a marriage. And we don't want to miss those. Luke 19.10, it's our heartbeat. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. We're a church who follow that heartbeat of Christ. We move towards people. So we have to seize this opportunity while we can. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you so much that you've placed a gift inside of each one of us, that you've put, put an opportunity in front of each one of us. Help us 
to seize it by your strength. Help us to chase after it with passion. Give us the courage to not delay any longer, but to take those steps that you're calling us to take. In Jesus' name.